Hello and welcome to Train Pop Culture, the podcast that wants to put it out on vinyl, but we've been beaten to that by Kevin Smith. So uh, we've been beaten to the point there. Welcome back to another exciting episode. We're doing Getting to Know You Music this week. I'm your host, Strawny, and with me as always... Johnson. Burns. Hey, you cool cats and kittens. It's Cougar Kimbo here to wow your ears. Dear. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Oh. Yeah. I, I never want to pitch you as a cougar, ever. I also don't want to pitch you endorsing Rolf Harris, either. Cool Cats and Kittens is Carol Baskins. Yeah, and she endorsed Rolf Harris. Yeah, recently. Deep she did, she did shout-outs to people and someone put Rolf Harris down as a name. So, yeah. Moving swiftly on. Already off tangent, folks. But yeah, this week it's getting to know you musically. Um, we'll be talking about our musical firsts, our teenage tastes, what we listen to now, and what we've been to in gig uh, in our gig history. Um, okay, so I'll go first with my first single I ever bought, and I'd have been the age of. And this is quite depressing. I'd have been twelve, um, and it was. And again, I'm not proud of this, so you guys feel free to take the piss all you want. But it was back in the days when you bought two CD singles to get like a double CD set for certain things. It was a way of, that's the way certain songs hit top 40s most of the time. If you're buying two copies of the same frigging disc with a different B-side or a different cover. I'm hearing uh, excuses. Hearing what? Excuses. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I've always been like, like a collector, as you guys know. So it's, I was, I started quite young there. Get on with yeah. it. The, the, the single was, um, again, from 2002, Will Smith's Black Suits Are Coming, Nod Your Head. That's an oh. excellent single. I love it. This is the best thing ever. Oh, you are right to worry that we judge you. We are judging you. Quite harshly, in fact. Is it more depressing that we're here to dance? Oh, oh yes. yes. I'm impressed. Strong. Two thumbs up from Kimbo. Double thumbs up. <laughs> Head hanging shame. So yeah, I'll I'll pass it on because I'm, I'm now just going to sit in the corner and think about what I've done with my past. So yeah, yeah. Johnson. I oh, know. Well, Kim. I was about to say I'm next. Mm. Um, so my my single no one's going to have ever heard of. Do you remember from? circa early to mid 2000s a band called the calling they did once they did one really good single called wherever you will go i didn't buy that single <laughs> they had a fault they had a follow-up single that did not do very well called stigmatize and i really liked it and it was one pound in woolworths stigmatize <laughs> the calling i remember it mate so i've got the album <laughs> it's a great album Palomino Palomero or something, something like that. Vaguely it's, Spanish. Yeah, it's somewhere in my CD collection somewhere. But yeah, I remember that song. It's a great old back to my back to my uh, hiding in the corner. <laughs> yes, back under your rock. Bad to her. I have nothing more to add. Stigmatize the calling. How old would you have been then, Kimbo? Oh, uh, mm, 11, 12. Okay. Uh, me and 
some friends I had went to Woolworths in in like Stoke Town Centre and brought some singles and that was one of them. I think one of them got girls allowed. Some girls allowed single. They all sound the same. <laughs> Woolworth states that, doesn't it? I I didn't know you were old enough for Woolworths in that sense, as in to, to go in and get your own stuff. Ooh. I thought it had closed down by the time you were old enough to, to deal with it as a an entity. Um like I I got like little bits of pocket money when I was early teens. Ah. Um so yeah, that was kind of then. Um by the time I had actual income, all of us had long gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is show this is showing my age. I bought um bought a Wii from um um Woolies. That's how old I am. I was old enough to be adult enough to buy a <laughs> that console from Woolworths. We'll I, thought it long hmm? I thought it closed long before Woolies was open. Uh, Woolies. Uh, we, we, uh, I thought Woolies had closed before Wii's were a thing. No. They closed kind of like midway through the Wii life cycle. Yeah. It was. It was what it was. The la- it was the last gen console that they ever sold. It was the most up to date thing they had. They they were not not around for anything additional by anyone. Rest in peace, Woolies. Yeah. Uh, and your epic pick and mix. What was your single? I thought it was Burns's turn. So it is. Um, oh, right, so I'd have been about 13, 14, and the first single I ever bought with my own pocket money was around 2000, and it was Anastasia, I'm Out of Love, which was huge at the time, so not that embarrassing, because it was massive, however, Great. yeah, Great little bit. I remember it it from being in the Wacky Warehouse. Always played it at Wackies. (laughs) Oh, Wacky Warehouse. Bloody hell. Yeah. No, I... (laughs) Accidental trip down memory lane. (laughs) Yeah. Personally, for me, I never got into singles, I never bought them, never saw the point, personally. I was just like, well, I know the song, if I like it, I'll get the album. I don't see the point in owning the song on its own. It was just a personal thing. It's just like I, I just didn't understand singles, why you'd get the album and the singles. Like, well done, you've now got two exact same copies of the same song. Well done, you. But my first... So... I think, though, back when we were doing it, Johnson, B-sides were still a thing. Yeah, that's true. So for like the completest of us, there was always like a B-side or an acoustic version we're after. Mm. Uh, that's true. I, the re- yeah, the reason I, funk. Sorry, go on. I got singles because I knew I wouldn't like the album of the artist. I liked just that song. Okay, that actually makes sense. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah I did the same. There'd be singles I'd buy that would be from people that I wouldn't normally commit to an album for. Uh, yeah, just on. Strawny's B-side, the reason um, Jasper Carrot's Funky Moped 
got to number one was because the um, single it came on had a B-side of um, unreleased material that he'd done. He, he did sort of about a 20-minute set on um, the Magic Roundabout, and people were buying it uh, for the co- for the comedy sketch on the B-side, not the song. So he got to number one with people not actually wanting to listen to the song. But yeah, my first ever single, and the only reason I bought it was uh, because I was trying to get it to number one back, uh, back, I think, in the 2010s at some point. That's how late I was to the game. It was uh, Cunt in the Gang. It was sucked off a bloke. And we were, it, us and his fans were trying to get that to number one. So we were, we bought the, we officially bought the single. They re-released it for the Christmas market. Uh, and load of us, did. it got nowhere because he hasn't got a big enough fan base, strangely. But that's the one of only two singles I've ever bought, and the other one was to get Rage Against the Machine to Christmas number one as well. So technically the only time I've ever bought a single was as a protest movement. (laughs) Of course. Um, I think from first single, it obviously brings you on to the first album you ever brought. And this one was quite hard for me because I was... I was gifted more albums than I actually bought my own money. Um, so I had to really think about this. And I went back and, again, you're talking about the mid to late noughties. And it was, again, in Woolies. So I uh, went to Woolies, rushed into the bargain bin. And for £3, there is a copy of All the Right Reasons by Nickelback. <laughs> Bearing in, mind, bearing in mind, this is a good six to eight months before they released Rockstar as a single, which is off that album. Six to eight months later, that song hits the charts, and that album is back in HMV on the shelf for £18. Ooh, you cheeky fecker. Yeah. I looked out there. It's one of my favourite albums. I love that album. I'm a big fan of Nickelback. People can say what they want about them, but you need to hear the albums, not the, the singles. Because um, even I hate Rockstar. Rockstar's a bad song. It's a bad track. It's a bad example of what Nickelback can do. Go to that album, listen to the next contestant, Side of Bullies. So, my first album links in to something that has caused much ridicule at my place of work. My first album was Songs About Jane by Maroon 5. I will defend that album Till the end of time. She will be loved. This love. Sunday morning. Classic after classic after classic. I can listen to that album in any mood. I will defend that album until the day I die. Even if people will then send me a photograph with my face over every member of Maroon 5 apart from Adam Levine. <laughs> that's a, that's a, an interestingly specific pull there, Kimbo. It's a very good album, though. I have you back on this one, Hon. Thank you. It's a very specific Paul Johnson because my leaving present when I moved departments was a signed photograph from not not from Maroon Five because that would have made too much sense from my department, wishing me well, using song names of Maroon Five and my face over each member <laughs> of Maroon Five. 
Ball Adam Levine. He's too brave. I'm quite proud because that was my idea. <laughs> You're welcome. Your idea, but you didn't sign it. No, I wasn't in office when they sorted it. <laughs> Looks to be me. I would like to add that does have now got pride of, pride of place right above my uh, little work office I've got at home. So every time I look up Adam Levine and six versions of me because there's seven people in Maroon 5, not five, even though they're called Maroon 5, are staring down at me with various expressions. Um, for me, my first album was 99. So we're talking a time ago. And again... In context of the time I bought it, it made sense like a motherfucker. On reflection, poor life choices were made as a very young child. Um, much the same as Strawn, like I had a lot of albums gifted to me, so I had to try and remember the first one I physically bought with any pocket money. And it was Steptacular by Steps. Wow. And, yeah, I might go hide under the rock. That Strawn was under previously. You've redeemed me. Thank you. That was that's the first musical decision anyone has said that I I can't defend. Yeah. Uh, In fact, don't join Strawny under the rock. Bring him out into the light, and you stay under the rock. You don't deserve company under there. I'll get my own rock. It's fine. (laughs) They were huge at the time. And you've got to think as well, like, oh, I'm just going to add more shame to my shame box. Back in the day, I used to line dance, and 5678 was used at my line dancing group to dance to. So I had that in my head kind of all the time. And then they were like, oh, we've got an album. And I think that had, like, tragedy on it as well. And it was huge. Like, they were big at the time. They were massive. And I, yeah... I'm, I'm going to just hang my head in shame. My music taste has got exponentially better over time. <laughs> to be fair, stopping listening to music altogether is a step up on a musical ladder. Salty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, accurate, and that but point, salty. <laughs> that pun wasn't welcomed, mate, at all. Steps, step up. No, thank you. Like, we don't do that here. <laughs> And on that, I get the award for being an old yet rich bastard because the first album I ever bought with my own money was back in 1998, so a year ahead when I was in um, America. And I bought um, Marilyn Manson's Mechanical Animals when it came out. I, I happened to be over there the year it, it was released. And so I managed to get an American, the American copy. Uh, it was in a, um, oh, what do they call it? Uh, it was in a shopping mall, but the shopping mall was just in the middle of the desert. We were traveling between L.A. and Las Vegas. Uh, and at some point, uh, if anyone knows the sort of geography, any every between those two, it's just sort of a big ass desert. And every so often you've got these huge shopping 
malls, shopping outlets, shopping villages, huge thing, thousands of shops. And then you step out and look in all directions, nothing, just miles of desert. And it's like, how do you make enough to, to do that? He says, coming out with lots of stuff. <laughs> but yeah, that's when I, uh, that was my first one over in America. And that's because I was gift like I was gifted stuff, and I was like, oh, you'll like this. And the first one I was ever given was back on cassette. It was um, uh, a cassette one, and. Yeah, but the first one I ever bought proudly with my own money was Mechanical Animals by Marilyn Manson. Yeah, I was gifted quite a few cassettes and quite a lot of vinyl. But I inherited a lot of, like, my mum and my dad and my uncle and my grandparents' vinyl. So it wasn't all just Steps and Anastasia. There was better music. I just made poor purchases. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't gifted albums until I was, like, later teens, really. Um but my dad, my dad and mum had most eclectic like album collection, and me and me and my middle brother, not the little one, um, we used to do like we used to wrestle. We used to like rip the sofa cushions off, put them on the floor like a ring mat, and we used to like get the the disc player, the CD player, and we used to do like in- entrances. And my dad had a Jimi Hendrix album. And it had a Voodoo Child reverb on it, which was Hulk Hogan's entry theme at one point. So, like, I just was like swaggering out, like, that's so wholesome. I love it. I don't have anything that wholesome to share apart from maybe power sliding around the kitchen to Purple Rain. <laughs> I love the fact that childhood wrestling. You usually get the image of you just pulling off the moves every so often, not actually doing much with it. Just, oh, I'll pick you up, or I'll throw you down, all that. Nope. Kimbo went the full hog, got a tape recorder ready, put the music on ready, and came out. I've got this image of you walking out of your kitchen door into your living room, just sort of like, yeah, you know. (laughs) Our house where we lived, it was like, it was all one room. Like, it was an archway separating, like, the living room and like a dining room or whatever so like we'd be round the corner of the archway the other one would be like there hit the theme and then swagger out just yes all of the yes so much yes (laughs) can i get teeny tiny kimbo wrestling merch please i want a funko (laughs) yeah young kimbo come coming out in a You've got to somehow paint it in homemade Hulk Hogan outfit. Not a Hulk Hogan outfit, a homemade one. You've got to somehow paint that. And for some reason in my head, little Kimbo is just like basically the the body of like a five-year-old child with your current head on it. (laughs) I've got child Kimbo just being a shrink-grade version of you. (laughs) Beard and everything. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Apparently, I'm not that imaginative. <laughs> so, about the the homemade wrestling gear, um, my mum used to have like pretty colourful like dish towels. So, you remember Hogan's like feather boa? Don't I don't have feather boas? Why would we have feather boas? We have colourful dish towels, and obviously no shirt, and. I didn't like the bandana because I had cool hair, so I just like rubbed, spiked all my hair up. 
I was like, we're going. Cameron hit the hit the theme. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> so you were more like Chris Jericho pretending to be Hulk Hogan. That that's the that's the look I was going for, yeah. Admittedly, I'm Chris on. Jericho didn't look like that at the time. Chris Jericho looked like a B tier Triple H back in the early two thousands. So I predicted <laughs> the future. I'm a telepath. I was going to say you Simpsons Jericho. <laughs> All hail Kimbo. See, I had visions of Kimbo with yellow electrical tape around his mouth to make like a really shitty tape beard. <laughs> I didn't, but I do now. <laughs> <laughs> Little Kimbo Thanks. with yellow tape around his mouth. <laughs> there we go. But I feel we have sort of Gone off, off, uh, <laughs> off tangent a bit again, as we tend to do. So, <clears throat> I'm going to mention our first gigs now. And I was quite a late guy into gigging and music, like properly into music in general. So, my first gig was at the age of 15. And that's when I properly discovered music as I know it now and how much I appreciate it now. Um, so, my first gig was at the Sugar Mill in Hanley. Anyone who knows, the Stoke area at all or knows the UK music scene should know the Sugar Mill. Um, and it was a band from America called American Head Charge. And that was my first gig. And there was me, little 15-year-old me, who was built a lot smaller than I am now, which takes some going. And I walk in with my uh, mate at the time and two guys in tank tops walk in, proper beefcakes, make the way through the crowd, head straight towards a mosh pit. And I just went, well, if they're going that way, I'm going the other way. I'm going towards the back. So at the back, watch the band. About 20, 30 seconds into the first song, one of the two guys comes back with blood gushing from his nose. I was like, if that's what happens to him, I'm not going near a marsh pit at all. <laughs> Give it six months later, I was in a marsh pit myself getting thrown about. So, uh, yeah, the ignorance of youth, shall we say. But yeah, Panic Cell, supporting American Head Charge. Burns? I, I desperately tried to like go, mmm, yeah, cool, interesting. But the second you said beefcake, all I had was beefcake, beefcake. <laughs> I was, and I was literally it. I doing that. Lost all concentration after that point. <laughs> yeah, some just two beefcakes walk in, cream tank tops, and then it was just like blood gushing from the faces 30 seconds of the first song. Super. Yeah. Nice. That's what happens to them. Keep me out. No, that's that's what you meant to do. You meant to, if you come if you come out of a gig in the same shape you went in, what was the point in going the gig? Oh no, I, I, I can say six months later I was in the pit getting thrown about like a rag doll. So obviously that that sensible uh, head that I started off with didn't last long because you know adrenaline kicks in during a gig and you're just like oh okay, let's go for it. But yeah. American Head Charge, one of the greatest live bands I've ever seen. I saw them twice before the unfortunate demise of three of their members, so or two of the members. One's now not in a good place, so I wish them the best. I hope they do something soon. But yeah, anyone else? So, we're going to have story time with Kimbo before I get to the actual answer to Strawn's first gig question. Uh, but 
right, hang on, I need to light up a fire, get a pipe on the go, sit in a comfy wing-back chair, come on. Prepare yourselves. So, my first gig I'm going to talk about isn't my first gig, because my actual first gig, I don't remember who it was. I remember being, like, 11, and there was a friend I had who moved away to go to a different school and lived in a different area so um but we like we saw each other every few months and i went around to his house and they were going to gig that night i was meant to stay over and they were like come to gig and i was like i don't know if my mum will let me go a gig so they called my mum and told her that we were going to gig and she didn't understand who the band were and she thought it was literally in some school hall it was in the sugar mill so she misunderstood the whole situation I got taken to this gig for either Incubus or In Me. I remember it began with an I and had an N second. After that, no clue. And I think I given was... the time frame, I think it probably was In Me. Because In Me was In... like getting quite bigger on the time that you said that it happened. In Me make way more sense. But I'm not 100% sure, so I'm going to talk about the second gig. Go so for this, it. So this gig, the first gig, the in my incubus gig. I was so terrified. I, I was up at the, you know, the upstairs back bit where the sofa is at the sugar mill. I was there and I was just kind of stood with his, my friend's sister and stepmom. And we just, I just didn't move. And like, they stayed with me whilst his dad and him went and moshed. And he came back and was like, come with me, come with me. And I'm like, absolutely not. People are being thrown around. I don't have a death wish. So this leads me nicely into my second gig where I brought seated tickets because they were cheaper and I was scared of mosh pits from an earlier experience. And me and my friend from high school at the age of 15 went and saw Block Party at the Vicky Hall and it was incredible. Block Party were incredible. The support act were absolutely garbage. They had a viol- They had a harp. I like harps. I don't want harps at an indie gig. But plot part was great. The lead singer came up on the balcony and like started bouncing around and high-fiving folk. And we got deaf-stared by an old man because we were eyeing off his daughters who were two seats away from us because him and his wife sat in between us on purpose. Um, and we tried to buy beer and I think we got away with it. It was a great time. Oh, the Hellraiser, that is Kimbo. The Vicky Allmates are fucking amazing venue. I saw I saw Trivium there on their Crusader tour, not Crusade, yeah Crusade tour, and I had to get I got all my mates bought tickets way in advance. I got given like last minute notification of all going. I was like, right, I'll buy a ticket now. Seated tickets left. There was one seat on its own on the back balcony. Like son of a bitch. So I watched the entire crowd kick off and have a mosh pit, and I'm just sat there on my own, like at the back. Great fun, though, but watching the whole crowd march away and shoes flying over the audience was great. But yeah, Vicky Hall, anyone knows it, great venue. For, for a seated venue as well, like, because the view from the balcony is great, like, because you can see, you can see the chaos of the mosh pit and you kind of want to jump in, but you're like, but then you also think, I'm really glad I've not got 17 bruised ribs because I decided to mosh down to uh, Flux, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, and you, oh, and oh, you yeah, see mate. the whole and you can see everyone performing, and it's it's a really great venue. It's the only gig I've yeah. ever been there. I'd have to go another gig there. I'd mosh. I'd go in the mosh pit for any other gig I went there. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have to see. I've had my seating experience. 
Um, mine, Strawn is incredibly jealous of. Um, I think I was like 17, if I'm, I'm remembering correctly. Um, and I th- think it was in Birmingham, but Pink was on her Try This tour. And my like first serious boyfriend got me tickets for my birthday to go and see Pink. And it was when she just started doing all her um, like uh, silks, the aerial work that she does. And it was just, it was awesome. It was seated, um, but I didn't feel like I missed out at all. It was just incredible. It was so much fun. She forgot the lyrics to her own song halfway through, laughed. The crowd yelled them out at her. She was like, thanks, guys. I'll try that again. And started. She had a drum off with her drummer and they performed Lady Marmalade that had been like a single relatively recently. And she just sang the whole thing, but she got her backing dancers out and all of the backing dancers and her were performing with very crude blow up dolls that were clearly dressed up to be the other girls that were in the actual released version of the song. Um, she then proceeded to beat the shit out of the Christina Aguilera blow up doll. Um, it was just so much fun. It was super cool. Like, it made me go like, ooh, going to see live music is going to be fun. And so, like, from that point on, when people are like, oh, do you want to come to this gig? Oh, do you want to go to that? And like, when I moved up to Stoke, I'd worked at the Sugar Mill for a while. So I'd work gigs and kind of watch and pay attention. And if I wasn't watching them, like, while I'm working, I could easily get in to a gig. Like, they'd let us know ahead of time so we could get tickets and that. And that gig kind of spearheaded my want to go and see other gigs it was just it was incredible it was such a show she puts on such a fucking show like even back then which was sort of early doors like her touring around the UK and she'd have that shift in style it wasn't so much people were questioning whether or not she was a very pale black R&B artist anymore she was kind of more her own identity by then it was super fun. Fucking loved every minute of it. I would go see her again a billion times. Like every time she starts touring, I'm just like, I really want to go. One day, one day I'll see her again. But I have already seen her. So pretty psyched. It was glorious. And I've got such a lady boner for her as well. And I, I did at the time. So it was just all of the yes. It was scrumptious and delicious and fantastic. I am so envious of you for seeing her because it's she's one of the artists I'd love to watch, especially for like she's so careful about the band she chooses as well. Like her entire backing band, they're not really a backing band in terms of how they are. It's they're part of Pink's, they're part of Pink, and it's how it's always been. Um, quick interjection: watch Hired Gun if you really want to watch anything on my music in general. So about session musicians, watch Hired Gun. Talk about Pink, talk about rock music, talk about everything. I had gone. I'll carry on with someone else. Mine's quite boring. My first one, first gig I ever went to was um, Madness back in uh, early 90s, I think, at some point. Uh, 94, 95, something like that. Uh, went with my mum. And I quite enjoyed Madness, so... My mum said, she's got tickets, you know, I know you like them, would you like to come? And little me at that point was like, yeah, yeah, I'll come, you know. Watched them, had a great time. And sort of 
thought, yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed it. And then uh, when I didn't really sort of stop, I sort of got, I suppose it, I got the bug of, oh, that was fun. Oh, that was, that was great. And then, yeah, but mine's not anything special, not anything amazing, not anything, oh, I really wanted to go. It was just the, the first time I ever went to a gig. <laughs> went to see Madness and they were quite cool. You said, but, though, uh, there's good people in the world that haven't seen Madness and would really like to see them. So you've done something they can't do. True. Same for yeah. like American Head Charge. The people that aren't going to see American Head Charge now. We've been privy to something very special at a very set time in life that we can never repeat. That's the joy of live music. That is true. It's just all of you, like your f- very first one, seem to touch you, seem to have something special, seem to do this, that, and the other. And I was just like, yeah, I, I, I went with my mum to my very first one because she had tickets and I quite like the back. You know what I mean? You yeah, all had, you oh, I really wanted bug. I was like, oh, you said you caught the bug from it. So, yeah, true. If nothing else, you've caught the bug from watching one band that you yeah. you well, you but, liked, but I would have caught I would have caught the bug anyway. I grew up in the late eighties uh, and uh, through the nineties in Birmingham. There is absolutely no way I was not catching gig bug. <laughs> don't trust a brummy that but says I... they don't like music, even of any kind. It's just like how we invented it, really. It's like there's something for everyone. You literally can't not. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but I think what you're saying about growing up around music defines our tastes as we get older. And I think those tastes are very well established in your teenage years. Uh, and we're going to talk about the kind of music we listen to as teenagers. Um, so I'm, I'll start. As a teenager, I had two very distinct group of friends. I had the cool kid friends that would listen to Oasis and rap music and the chart stuff, basically. Um, And I had my group of friends who I spent more time with away from school who just, who, who, they were emos. They listened to rock music, they listened to punk music. Uh, pop punk, you know, that whole array of, and I assume they'll get just thrown under the bandwagon of emo rock now. Um, so between those two, I kind of found my own little niche of what I like, which kind of encompasses everything. Um, so as part of what we've decided to do for teenage music, we were going to give a brief overview, which I have just done, and then uh, kind of dive deeper into two of the artists. Uh, we listen to a lot in teenage years. Um, so the two that I'd like to talk about, um, number one, I found by myself, and I'm really proud, and the reason I found him is because I was watching MTV hits, and a news article came up saying this guy had been in a car crash and had released an album, and his name is Kanye West. I love Kanye West's early stuff. I will, I'm going to put a definitive pin in early stuff. First three albums are incredible. Uh, anything after the third album, don't like it. He starts playing with stuff and it doesn't sit right with me. The first three albums, he doesn't experiment. He kind of knows what rap works for him. There's bits of bitches and hoes. I don't mind bits of bitches and hoes in my rap, but it's not all bitches and hoes. Like, Slow Jam is a song about bitches and hoes. 
but Slow Jam is a great song. But then you've got stuff like Roses and Hey Mama, which is a bit more emotional and dives into Kanye's kind of mental state when he started out, which I think was it was really different to the likes of Eminem and 50 Cent that were kind of big at the time because they kind of it was all beef money weed women there was there was nothing else um and then kind of on the flip side when i was 15 16 uh and i was trying to listen to new bands and i was like i was never sure who to listen to um an ex-girlfriend like just chucked me like 12 albums and she was like listen to all of them rip whatever tracks you want to your windows media player give me the albums back in like two weeks i was like okay cool i'll do that and she gave me an album for a band called motion city soundtrack i love motion city soundtrack they they to this day are one of my favorite bands that i've never seen live probably will never see live and i love them they're just so quirky and out there and that kind of pop punk sound really like sticks with me and then they do acoustic sets and I really like acoustic music especially when it's like the song's normally like and then they slow it and acoustic it down and it's like still a very good song I really enjoy that um yeah I think that's kind of my teenage teenagers tied up with a nice little bow what about you guys I'd just like to say Kimber before you pass it over uh, there's a guy who everyone might know is by the name of Bruce Dickinson um, and he made a very, very, very valid point on what you said earlier about three albums and he said when, a, when an artist comes out they have all original ideas on the first album that's why the debut album is always like it's either make or break for a lot of people like it's, that's them in a nutshell second album is usually for want of a better phrase uh, leftover ideas or ideas they had whilst making that album or touring that album the third album is what makes or breaks an artist because that's the album where they've got nothing left from their previous years and they create something then that is entirely new after two tour cycles and whatever they've done before that unsigned so the third album is always like considered a difficult album so the fact that you liked Kanye up to that third album speaks volume because that's essentially where he went from there now he's he's, he's global but yeah i just thought I'd throw it out there to see what you guys think i would like to say i do include kanye's third album as a good album because the third album he starts playing with stuff because uh, the third album's got homecoming and good life and stuff like that on there um so he's starting to play around with different sounds but he hasn't taken it too far away from where the first two albums are from what you quoted Bruce from saying 100% you can hear that in his first two albums. They're very similar in sound and style. And then the third one starts to veer, but it's not gone off the tracks like Heartless and stuff like that has after it. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree. You can see he's kind of just gone by four. He's, he's off on a different level of music and it is what I was listening to, so I didn't stick with it. Just on the bit, Bruce Dickinson quoting that is incredibly rich considering he came into the hit the band he's famous for on the third album. Cheeky fucker. 
oh yeah, the band's third albums are always the good one. Is that coincidentally just when you came into the band that was getting big, mate? Well done for that analysis. No, no. What he said was the first first album is what makes a band. The third album is all new ideas after the first two. And he said the third one makes or breaks, which is the one where he came in. You see what I'm saying? It sounds sounds egotistical. Yeah, but look at his solo (laughs) career. He talked about all bands, not his. Yeah, but his solo career only really came off because he was massive from... Well, Maiden. yeah. I mean, I love Maiden's early work. Don't get me wrong, but after after um, Brave New World, they were all exactly the same album, just with a different theme to it. I mean, it's literally the same. But yeah, I just find it. I just found it funny that he would say it's the third album that makes or breaks an art, uh, a band. In when he came into the band, he's famous for on the third album. It was just a, a joke point. The fact that he came in in the third album and he says, oh, yeah. it's the third album that makes an al- that makes or breaks a, a group. It was just a joke, really. Yeah. Anyway, we're tangenting. Burns. Oh, hang on. Um, I, I was going to say I agree with Kimbo in terms of Kanye. Kanye is one of those guys now that at his current stage of his career, he's almost become a caricature of himself. And it's such a crying shame because those first three albums were genuinely really fucking good. Like, if you listen back, Through the Wire is what he wrote following the car crash, and he was having to rap through his jaw having been wired up because he was injured in this car crash. It was intelligent. It was smart hip-hop and rap. And then you hit 808 and Heartbreaks, and it's a lot of voice manipulation and electronic sounds and it's very jarring because you've been given this basically the he's given you a concept of what he is and what he's about and he's been fairly consistent but each like the the first album is brilliant the second album is very similar to the first album but slightly more polished so you can see he's grown a little bit and by the third album that arc that he's on with those three that are they're kind of they're tied together aren't they because it's like graduation and whatnot they all link and by that third album he's tying that kind of three-part story in albums together in a nice beautiful bow and he's showing he's got a little bit more range and then he drops a weights and heartbreaks and you go okay not what i was expecting it's not the worst album in the world but it's not a great album and i think Arguably, most people will say it's not a good Kanye West album. And then after 808s and Heartbreaks, he starts messing a lot with kind of the way his voice sounds. And it's a lot of electronic interference with the way that he sounds. And he also, unfortunately, fell up his own arse a little bit. Um, And he's become this caricature, like so much to a point where the whole South Park thing could legitimately run as a... A storyline, it was so farcical, but what you were seeing in the press from him, it made sense. And it's such a shame that Kanye West is where he is now when those first three albums were just so fucking good. He he is a talented artist. He's just spun so much hype and now believes so much in this story of himself that he's told that he's lost track of the good music it seems like I, I wish that he could self-reflect a little bit and just strip it back he might do in the future people do this 
they reflect and go, do you know what? I need to go back to my roots. And I hope that Kanye does because his first three albums were fucking glorious. Solid choice, Kimbo. I'd also like to throw out as one last Kanye point before we, we move on because this isn't a Kanye West podcast. Uh, I'm not saying every song he has done since graduation is poor. I am saying College Dropout, Homecoming and Graduation as three separate albums are very, very good. Close to perfect rap albums. I'm saying 808 and Heartbreaks onward are very hit and miss. There are good songs. I like Black Skinhead. Black Skinhead's a great song. But as a whole, his work post-graduation isn't for me. I agree. So in terms of my teenage years, like I'd grown up in a household where my mum played like a lot of R&B. So it's like a lot of Tony Braxton and R. Kelly and Boys to Men and Prince was thrown in early doors. So there was a lot of that. And then unfortunately, a lot of shitty radio. We had Ram FM and they insisted on playing Dancing in the Fucking Moonlight like 82 times a day. So my early doors years weren't great. So when I started hitting my teens, kind of cut my teeth a little bit. And for the two that I'm going to go in on, I'm going to do kind of what the first artist that I felt like I'd chosen myself and then what kind of started the chapter of me really going in on finding my own sound, so to speak. First artist that I felt like was more my choice, not just something I was passively listening to at home, was Pink. Um, I remember being in the art block at lunchtimes working on projects when I was at high school listening to Misunderstood and just falling completely in love with her and I don't know there was something about her that really grabbed me and listening to her sing and listening to the lyrics kind of hit a chord because I, I never really fit in I was not a very girly girl I was never a very popular girl I was one of those artsy fartsy weird ones that kind of stuck out a little bit, but not for the right reasons. And so you listen to the album Misunderstood and then you listen to the albums that followed. And she talks quite openly about being the awkward kid at school that nobody really liked, that got picked on and the teachers didn't really like. And it just, it, it struck chords. And then like, she stuck with me. Like, this is a teen choice. And as she's grown and matured, because I don't think there's a great difference age-wise between the two of us. As she has grown and her style's changed, I've got older and my musical preferences have changed. And as much as I, I will still go back and listen to Misunderstood, and I still think it's a really solid album. As she's grown, I've grown. And it it just it she was a very important early doors choice for me as a teen. Like she really kind of set the bar of this is my artist, she's singing for me. And it was having that connection with an artist for the first time. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, this sounds cool. Oh, yeah, that's stuck in my head. I need to listen to it. Like, it spoke to me in a way. And it was the first time, like, I'd really had that moment where I was listening to an artist sing and really hell-bent on listening to the lyrics and going, shit, that, that could be me. And it meant an awful lot. Then later years... We're talking, like, I moved up to Stoke in 2004 to go to uni. And that year, um, the Killers released Hot Fuzz. And that was the first 
album I bought up here. And it's basically like chapter one of my shit got serious music became yes to me just like everything became yes I'd never listened to anything like it I became a massive indie nerd and was heavily into the indie scene at the time Killers were just extraordinary the Hot Foss is an album I still think is a fucking banging album it's it's just so solid still plays back now as good as it did the first time I listened to it and it just opened doors to me from having lived in this little bubble of just R&B and Ram FM and other than Pink, that's all I had, R&B and Ram FM. <laughs> I'm from Derby, by the way, listeners at home. So Ram FM is the, the local radio station. Um, moving up to Stoke and finding my own path started with buying Hot Foss and then finding the Sugar Mill and going to see indie gigs and local bands at the Sugar Mill. Because suddenly I was like, oh, there's this type of music it's not all just r&b and dancing in the moonlight um, it kind of it opened a door for me and having indie given to me made me start listening out for literally everything else it got me into venues watching indie bands and then you'd see the support acts and there'd be a light rock band with them and you'd start listening to rock music or there'd be like a soul and funk band with them and you'd start listening to that so I mean Killers were a big deal so and I, I'm still a fan I think they're fucking ace Bimbo. I just had a story about the Killers and I don't know if Straw might have to cut this because it's, it's on some dodgy ground um, so remember like when you were kids and you don't have money to really buy all the music you wanted to listen to because you didn't actually earn money. Um, so you looked at ways of getting your favourite songs for free um, and you potentially maybe used a YouTube to MP3 converter and put that onto, onto your iPod. So you got the YouTube music. Um, so that's the kind of shit I did. And the song... Uh, do you remember Bones by The Killers? The version of Bones I, I somehow got a hold of went key rock at the beginning. And now I can't hear Bones without hearing key rock. <laughs> that was it. That's all I wanted to share. Oh, what worries? What worries me? I was literally about, literally about to say that. I was just like, dude. Yeah, you made me feel old when you, you said, "Oh, you had to get it uh, dishonestly." I'm just like, "Oh, he's gonna say the L word," and then you went YouTube. I went, "Oh fuck, I'm old." <laughs> he's so <laughs> no, young, remember? Yeah, I was gonna say, "Oh, if if we're incriminating to... one person, we might as well incriminate us all." Because I went through a long list of different hosts, Kimbo. I didn't use, I never used YouTube until. There was a song from like a mate's band that put up on YouTube. I couldn't get it otherwise, but I used a Res, LimeWire, uh, Win2K. Like I go back. Did you ever remember Morpheus? Yeah, I go yeah. back many. I got into I got into downloading music before I got into music. Like this is how bad it was. Um. So yeah, like don't worry, mate. Like YouTube converters, not the the end of the spectrum that you should be worried about it's the, yeah. the p2p guys i mean yeah. i predate napster in that sense because i was using file sharing networks oh, that are now 
like even torrenting. I got into torrenting. Mm. So we predate all that, mate. You're just the baby of the group. Yeah, I've I remember saying it. I remember the Napster trial. I remember seeing it <laughs> sort of come up in the paper. It was just so funny, just going, just watching a band go, "How dare you want to listen to us?" Which is what it sort of it sort of came across to us metalheads. We went, "Hang on a sec, we're we're listening to your stuff, and we're so desperate to listen to your stuff. We're getting it any way we can." I understand, oh, you know, you're taking it taking it illegally, but it was the suing, and it was just like, "Oh, you." Bastards. I just really want to quickly say I did use LimeWire. I, I, I don't not know what LimeWire was. I, I used it first, but then I had an experience where I wanted to download song Tattoo, all the things she said. Great song. I will fight you. Don't you worry. Um, I tried to download that song and instead I got an, a video file and I was like, What's this video file? And it was a woman getting fucked by a horse. So that put me off my wire for a while. <laughs> yeah. Lime that sounds wire. like line wire, mate. That's that's line wire down to a T. Yeah. It yeah, people would just put absolutely anything with whatever title just to get it. A lot of the time it would be troll stuff. That's how stuff like one uh, you know, people complain about uh, two girls, one cup, and you're like, Really? I remember stuff like one man, one jar. All the oldest oh, stuff. No, my job was after. Was it after? Yeah, way after. You're talking like Tub Girl era. <laughs> Tub Girl was before two uh, two girls one cup. But L- LimeWire was you, you you either got like a natural twenty or a natural one, and there was yeah. nothing in absolutely nothing in between. You either got exactly what you wanted. And you felt a bit guilty because you knew you should be paying for it because how are the artists meant to afford to be able to keep producing music if they're not getting paid? But you, you only ever did it when you were really young. And now we've all got like Spotify or Amazon Music or Google Music or iTunes. And we all do it legitimately now. We all fucking adulted at some point and realised that pirating music was not worth the fucking risk or the hassle. And also just fucking not necessary. Like, it's just so easy to get what you want these days. If we'd had Spotify back in the day, nobody would have been taking the natural one risk of destroying your mum's computer because you decided to download something off LimeWire and it turns out it was all of the viruses ever. (laughs) But yeah, don't worry about downloading stuff, Kimbo. Everybody has done it up until, like, probably this generation that's just coming through now because it's now just so fucking easy to get what you want at a price that is completely affordable uh, if I'd had Spotify back in the day uh, my music taste would probably be just explosively erratic and that my music taste now is already bordering on that so don't you worry your head boo <laughs> you, you talk as well from a time where it was a double-edged sword so like music now is almost accessible worldwide with when we were downloading music, there was albums that you couldn't get in this country, or there was albums you couldn't get in Argentina or stuff like that. People who had access to the internet and therefore could get what they wanted. There was albums that you weren't getting any which way but fucking loose. And that's what I think the joy of P2P networking was and torrenting. It gave people access to music. And it is that double-edged sword aspect. Because, yeah, it was robbing the artists, but in the long term, it's paid off for those guys because those guys now have us lot of fans 
who buy the albums, buy the vinyl, buy the t-shirts, buy gig tickets. And that's where I've come from. I mean, in a way, like the the days of LimeWire and YouTube converters and whatnot, probably the reason why we have things like Spotify and iTunes now, they, they're going to be, it was going to be a case of how do you solve the problem of illegally downloading music? We need to make this accessible to everybody at a price everybody can afford in a way that's secure, that the artists still get some recognition for. If it hadn't been for this overwhelming surge of people desperately trying to get music that they legitimately didn't feel they could get any other way in a financially viable means, like if it hadn't been for the LimeWire era, we probably wouldn't have Spotify and iTunes now. So as much as it was a a devilish thing and a dangerous little game to play, it probably is the reason that a lot of the stuff now even got imagined and developed because that is the way you solve that problem. How do you solve the problem of illegally downloading music? You make a digital platform where everything's available regardless of where you are. You make it cheap enough for everybody to be able to get involved. Or like for Spotify, you can have it free. You've just got to get your ears blasted by adverts intermittently. So LimeWire, it was it was dangerous <laughs> for your home computer and you felt a bit like scum. But if it hadn't been for that era of us just desperately trying to get music and the industry seeing that we were so desperate to get music, we would literally flout the law to try and get it, we probably wouldn't have the things that we have now. So it was probably a necessary evil to get progress moving in the right direction to what we've got now. I'm going to break the rules of getting to know you and I'm going to say a negative thing. Spotify does not have one song on there that I really want. Please, please put Lita's theme tune in from the early 2000s because it isn't on Spotify and I really want to listen to it in my own free time and not by loading up WWE 2K20. Thank you and goodbye. That is such a niche gripe. That's like the most first world problem. I want to hear WWE theme tune on Spotify. <laughs> You're so cute. The issue is, Trish's, Trish Stratus's garbage theme tune is on there. The one with lyrics that don't make any sense. Lita's, which is a great piece of music, isn't on there because the band isn't on Spotify. Please, just put yourself on Spotify just for me. I will listen to Lita's theme tune at least 20 times a day to make it worth your while. Actually, I genuinely have no segue. My turn. So, yeah, for my teenage years, gr- growing up in Birmingham, there was, there was only really one option for me. Uh, I became a metalhead because there's n- no real other option. Uh, my, my parents have always not really liked sort of mainstream music. Uh, so when I was young, you know, I had led my parents had led, led Zeppelin um, and so on, uh, vinyl and so on. One of my first things they gave me was Queen's Greatest Hits. Well, everyone else was listening to Spice Girls and setting stuff like that, saying, oh, oh Spice Girls, brilliant. I went, yeah, I'm currently listening to um, Innuendo by Queen. So, you know, I think I'm winning here, you know. <laughs> but and then as I grew up, went into as I got into secondary school, several other people, quite a few of us joined us and we were 
the several, you know, sort of like 10 or 12 dirty Grebe. Well, as we got, I can't remember. We, we, Grebo was a new word for me when I came to Stoke. People said Grebo. And I was like, that's not what we got called, but I can't remember what um, we got called back it in was Birmingham. Grab. Grab? We no. grabbed some Derby. Uh, see, Grebo never reached my part of Birmingham. I can't remember what. Yeah, Greb was later in Stoke. Uh, we were called Sweaties round here. Yeah. Uh, I, I, weirdly, regardless of what hoodies me and my mates had on, we always had people coming up going, oh, Slipknot. And I just remember one time, sort of, you know, going around town, I had a corn hoodie on, and someone went, oh, Slipknot, at me. I went, looked down and went, that's a funny way of spelling corn, isn't it? You want to go back to school, mate, and walk off, you know. This will really upset you, mate, but there was a time in Stoke, like in primary school for my brother, where Slipknot hoodies were a fashion thing. And it was so depressing to watch because, like, you've got guys going, um, oh, I want a Slipknot hoodie. Well, who was Slipknot? I don't know. It just looks cool. Some guys in some masks, isn't it? Yeah, yeah like, for a, for a whole six-month period in Stoke, there was kids wearing Slipknot hoodies. I, I do apologise, yeah. but that's the next generation for you. Yeah, no, but I was, yeah, I grew up during the, I, it was, I was a metalhead during the time of stuff like the Columbine massacre and so on, where metal was being blamed for everything, left, right, and centre. We were getting, oh, you worship Satan, that, and it's just like, I'm, I'm having a, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm having a bottle of coke with my mates in the street, walking to the shops. What the fuck are you on about? You know what I mean? But yeah, so we were into that and. Uh, my first, and uh, at the time, sort of, yeah, late nineties, I was quite into, very heavily into Marilyn Manson, um, because uh, he was just so, for me at the time, he was just sort of so different, especially when uh, the album, you know, Mechanical Animals came out in ninety eight, and he, that was just so different to, sort of everything that was going on in the the mains, you know, for a kid who's not really got in the 90s, not really got access to the underground world just at that point, strangely. So that album was just so different to what anyone else was sort of listening, what I thought I, I thought everyone else was listening to, you know. And I got really into Manson. And then, of course, because uh, I'm gigging in the local area, I'm metalhead for sneaking into those kind of pubs stuff. I got into the um, sort of the gigging era and my other one as a, as a teenager was Napalm Death because they are massive in Birmingham. Strangely, they are gods in Birmingham. It, it's you know, the granddaddies of grindcore. They pre- pretty much invented uh, you know, the British sort of um, extreme metal sort of thing. Taken, they sort of went with the the hard punk and then turned into. Um, Grindcore, they pretty much invented Grindcore along with Bolt Thrower and the the original sort of groups from Birmingham. But that was my sort of introduction. I was quite. It was either um, sort of bit sort of bit spaced out, trippy stuff like that that album of Manson, or it was heavy stuff like Bolt Thrower and Napalm Death. It was yeah. So my uh, my teenage years were sort of very very angst ridden shall we say deep shock yeah 
And also, listeners, if you weren't aware, Johnson's from Birmingham. He doesn't <laughs> like to Best city in the world. That's where I'm from. Um, you did say about the, the, the whole masker thing with Johnson. That led me on to, like, my band of choice for my teenage years. And they've written a song about the, the West Memphis Three. And that's Disturbed. Um, Disturbed were my band of choice for, like, my teenage years. And you think about it, they've still got like quite a technical base, like in terms of like techno music. They've got a whole, they had that whole new wave, and not new wave, new metal sound to start with. And I think that for me is sort of grounded in the fact that I grew up listening to Pet Shop Boys with my dad. So I've got that industrial techno sound leading into what I love personally, my old man loves to this day, is rock and metal. Um, but yeah, I listen to all sorts. So I just wanted to list off a quick list of bands. I'm not going to mention why I loved them, but there was bands like um, Spine Shank, Static X, Killswitch Engage. I listened to all sorts of stuff in my teenage years. But there's two standout bands, and one was Disturbed, the one was Demon. And Demon, for me, were life-changing, shall we say. I always played those by my uncle on vinyl in his spare room he used to have a vinyl record collection that reached as far as I could see. And he pulled out two vinyls and went, right, they're for you. And it was the first of Demon albums. And Demon, for me, solidified what music was meant to be. I know I enjoyed death metal and all this sort of technical metal and black metal and thrash and all this sort of stuff. But for me, I've always been a fan, fan and will be of melody. And that's where Demon came in. Demon did everything with a reason. There wasn't a solo for the sake of a solo. There wasn't a fast riff for the sake of a fast riff. Everything was written with a purpose and a sense of what they were doing in mind. And Demon to this day, yeah, they're not massive globally. Certainly not in Stoke or well, they're pretty big in Stoke, but they're not massive in the UK. Go to the continent, where I'm sure some listeners are based, and you'll probably know Demon. And Demon were, for me, a band that transcended what was music for me. They solidified what it could be. And it was five guys from up the road that did well and chose to write music that they enjoyed writing. And I, I've always enjoyed it. And to this day, like I love Neil. I love um, Dave, Paul. Carl, they're all great. They've got a revolving door of members depending on where they're playing and where. God bless Demon, which is a very weird sentence to say, but God bless Demon. That's what people around my way used to think I was. I would be doing. Hey, Demon's there. I'll piss off. Sorry. I've, yeah, I've, I've gotten over it. Can you tell? From teenage years, what happens from teenage years is some of us grow up, the rest of us grow old, which is what we did. And that means our tastes may have moved on slightly. Um, so uh, for me personally, I sort of, I did the the typical teenage angst thing. I was, you know, wearing, wearing all black, thinking I was unique as hell, having t-shirts like you laugh because 
I'm different, I laugh because you're all the same. That awful, awful stuff where you don't realise just how ridiculous that T-shirt is, considering it was made by a company and sold globally. So, yes, really individual. You've really stuck it to the man by buying his products. Well done. Uh, and then I grew up, I grew up and essentially my, my taste did it expand. I sort of got over the angst and actually just started listening around. And uh, my, for me, as I was growing up, it just got, music just got weirder and weirder. I went more and more sort of experimental where I could uh, and, and so on. And uh, to the point now where I've got, I've got a, stuff on me, my laptop and, Song where I'll be listening to uh, agrotech, synthwave, death metal, uh, you know, black metal, uh, freeform jazz, and just tons of stuff. I've got, but mainly I'm still I am still a metalhead at heart. I still wear all black. Uh, I've never got over that. I can't. I just can't can't see myself in colours. I don't know how they work because people say because then you've got to choose. What goes with them? Oh, if you wear a blue shirt, well, what do you... Oh, easy. I just go... I just open my drawers and go, that'll do. Done. I'm done. Out the door. I don't have to worry. But at the most, I'm quite quite into Neil's farm now, thanks to Nat, actually. She showed, uh, she showed him a few... Showed him to me a few, uh, about a year or so ago. And he's... He was... At, she it actually blew my mind when the first time I saw it well heard him and it was absolutely amazing and before uh, i've um got into an american uh, experimental idm artist called lawn uh, look him up do look him up he's an award-winning musician and he's just he's just brilliant overall but still metal at heart and my current favorite band and i think there will be for the longest time at evil scarecrow Evil Scarecrow, amazing. They're Blue Peter Metal because they just um, make all their own props and you can tell they make their own props. Uh, but they don't try and make them look good. That's the point. They try and keep them. Even though they're, they've been signed for years now, they've got budgets, they go on tour all over the place. You know, they're actually a solid, done band. They still make all their own props and make them look homemade for that aesthetic. It goes to show, though, mate, I'm, I'm, and this isn't me name-dropping at all, this is just making a point of what you said. When I rode for Sc- Evil Scarecrow, that's that fake cabdy wheel on stage mm. where one of them jumps out of, yeah. you were like, that's a really dodgy-looking cab. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> yeah. Is that the wired up? Like, where's the plug go? <laughs> we weren't quite sure of the whole thing. <laughs> and the kick team were like, oh, oh, okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> like, yeah, where's the plug go in this? Like we, yeah, mind blown. And then some guy pops out of it and fucking does some crazy shit. Yeah, great live band, folks. Check out Evil Scarecrow. Yeah. I think for me, like bands that I listen to now, of it's quite a departure in some ways, but in others not so much. Like the melody is still there from what I grew up listening to. Um, but there's, there's only two bands I could ever mention. Um, and obviously, special mention for one because they're my boys. But the Wild Arts have a special place in my heart, and that isn't that isn't a pun. I don't mean to say it like that, but the Wild Arts means so much to me as a band. Um, 
they have they have managed to find a way of making a career in this industry despite everything that's happened to them or in spite of everything that's happened to them. They have been the probably one of the most unluckiest bands on the planet after Lynn Skinner. And it's quite I don't know, it's quite inspiring to listen to them now in regardless of what ha- what's happened to them and what they've been through. Um, Ginger Wilder, obviously the, the man behind the whole project is to me, is God. Like <laughs> I will I will worship the ground that man walks on and have done. Um, I've got one of his album covers set on my arm. He's a goddamn genius. He puts out more albums in one year than anyone else can imagine. He's currently writing three albums as we speak now. So it gives you the credit as to what that guy is doing with his spare time during lockdown. The other, and it's, it's a very weird link I only found out later on in life, someone who's been inside the Wild Hearts, not been inside the Wild Hearts, that's really bad, but been in the Wild Hearts, and that is Devin Townsend. Phrasing. Phrasing, yes, phrasing. Uh, a man who's in the Wild Hearts for what is essentially to all those guys in New York Minute, but in terms of his musical career, even less. And that is Devin Townsend. That man is just as prolific as, De- as Ginger is. And he has written some albums that have redefined what the genre is and what an artist confined to a genre can do. And I think that's what makes it very different. Um, you've got two artists there who are predominantly rock, but have experimented anything, everything from dance to electronic to country to blues to folk to death metal to thrash. To... Between the pair of them, they've covered every bass besides pop music. I think even then, Wild Arts covers pop-ish sort of stuff. And Devin himself has covered a pop-ish bass with Epic Loud. Um, special mention, I've got to give out to my boys and Jesse Divide. Jesse Divide will always be one of the greatest bands that Stokes ever produced. And I can't really say much more than that because you just need to give them a listen. Um, Jesse Divide or... They've been through so much in the eight years they've been together. And they've come a long way. And they've been so far and they've done so much for their fans. They're they're very much a, a fan service band. They're like the Kevin Smith of the musical world, if you will. Um... But yeah, let's sign Nick, Rob. I salute you guys. I'll end there because otherwise I will just keep carrying on. But yeah, check out Justified. Check out Devin Townsend. Everything he's done. Check out Ginger Wild Art and everything related to the Wild Hearts. That's a long rabbit hole to go down, folks. If you want to take the right pill, follow me down the hole. So, Sean and Sean and Johnson went quite quite niche, quite quite underground. For me, high school never ended. I listened to the same shit I did back then. I'm not going to pit bowling for soup, but I really like that ref, that line from the chorus. I'm going to, I'm going to steal it. Cheers, bowling. Um, what I listen to now is pretty much everything. My Spotify playlist has gone seriously from Michael Bublé to Metallica to Kalina Bailey to Kalina Bailey Ray to the guy I'm going to talk about first. Childish Gambino, Donald Glover, Childish Gambino, whatever you want to call him, is phenomenal. The diversity in his work is incredible. 
I started listening around Freaks and Geeks uh, kind of time. And to compare that to Redbone, to compare that to This Is America, uh, it's such different, different sounding music. And his evolution, if you will, as an artist is, is insane. Um, but then on the flip side of the Kimbo coin, there is a band that a friend of mine introduced me to called Don Broco. And they, they have blown me out of the water. Some days, you know when you, you can't decide what to listen to, so you skip through your playlist. And the songs you like, but you're like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not going back. I've clicked skip too many times. If I skip a Don Broco song in accident, I will skip back. I will listen to that Don Broco song. Even if the song after is something that I've put on the, the playlist for situational listening, I will listen to the Don Broco song and then go back to skipping for until I hit something else I like or I'm in the mood for. Um, they're just... I'm going to sound whiter than white, but I'm going to say it. They are funky fresh. Oh, oh, I think the white just um, splashed on me. It was that white. I feel the need to wear bright white trainers with socks and cargo shorts. <laughs> I thought it was cute. Thanks, Nat. I'll try. Um, I've got... I am, I am going to choose to give a shout-out to... Uh, uh, a lesser known, but probably still more well known than the people that Strawn said because I don't listen to niche stuff really. I'm sorry. Uh, but there's a rapper called Hoodie Allen who is, I think he's a Chicago based rapper, and you can really tell in his style, his flow, um, where he's from. And he isn't rapping about complex topics, but but just just listen to him. It it's just fun, easy listening rap, and I really enjoy it. Um, and I would recommend anyone listen to any of those three artists. But give it up for Hoodie. I can't believe you, Kimbo, having your own personal tastes, not listening to experimental stuff because you don't want to, and settling for stuff you do. How weird are you? <laughs> How rude to just enjoy more mainstream music <laughs> i know yes, enjoying sorry, the stuff that's yeah enjoying the stuff that's meant to be enjoyed <laughs> yeah sorry guys i i, I don't I, i'm old now i don't go to music pubs i don't even listen to the radio spotify tells me when artists i like releases music and i listen to it that, that's that's the level of into music i've gotten Honey, if you're old, I'm a fossil. To be fair, I'm that old guy that you see at gigs, because I'm still rocking it. Oh, God, I am old. Did you hear that? I'm still rocking it. But I will still charge into a pit and so on. I'm like, the, I'm like your old... Uh, when it comes to that sort of stuff, I'm like your old dog. Sits around, limps a little bit when it's at home. You get him to the park and suddenly, bang, running all over the place. That's me at, uh, that's me at a gig. Uh, it's just like, 
I'll sit quite. I'll happily sit in an you know as we as we do. You know, we go to pubs, sit in the corner, just laugh and drink. We don't really go too many those nights out. But you get me in a gig, and you'll you will lose me because I will just dump all my stuff in a safe place, and you'll, I'll disappear into the crowd, and I'll come back out with a f- few more bruises and wheezing and lost my voice from screaming and then i'll be like yep that's me and then you know where's me where's me walking frame (laughs) moving swiftly on (laughs) i haven't got the uh, silky smooth skills of kimbo to segue from one thing to another um in terms of music now at some point in life and i'm not entirely sure when this occurred but it was as if somebody said, so what music do you like listening to? And I went, yes. Um, <laughs> I'm not really sure when it happened. Like, as I've discussed earlier on, like, I grew up just listening to a very specific type of music, moved to Stoke, found that there was a different genre of music, and then just went, yes, yes to everything. So... Like my music taste now, like my Spotify, if I just like hit, just play randomly, I'd sound fucking schizophrenic. It would jump from like indie to hip hop and R&B to ambient to rock to metal, to soul to pop and then just about everything in between. Um, so in terms of what I listen to now, I think some of my old loves have now got really deep rooted. So one of the artists that I still listen to now, I will be listening to this guy when I am on my deathbed. He provided like a soundtrack to my life. Um, and that's Prince. At some point, I was not just passively listening to him in the house because it was just one of his albums would be playing sometime. You know, it was one of those. And my mum would play it. I remember listening to my dad's vinyl copy of the album 1999 at my grandparents house it's sort of there so I listened to it it was more fun than the Elvis stuff that they had in the boxes um but at some point there was a tipping point for me and I became an actual ardent fan and of course we've been in lockdown for a while and I've taken the opportunity to basically just binge his entire discography on Spotify and some of the stuff he released like Everybody knows Purple Rain and they know 1999 and they know Sign of the Times. But some of the stuff that people are less aware of is fucking extraordinary. Um, I highly recommend just, if you've got Spotify, go see his discography. There is an album that's basically just jazz, which is incredible. Um, there's a, an album called N.E.W.S., it's just four tracks. It's very sort of ambienty music, no lyrics, just sounds. And it's it's just very cool, which is almost as bad as um, Kimbo saying, Funky Fresh, I appreciate. But it is, it's just a cool album. He's, he was just an extraordinary talent. And I remember when he passed away being genuinely heartbroken because at key points in my life, there has been a Prince song playing. And that goes back to like my first ever job in a hairdresser's back in Derby where Purple Rain was just played all the fucking time. And I remember having my first like teenage crush on the guy that was my manager as he power slid across the salon floor when Let's Go Crazy started playing. And 
I lost my shit because hormones. Um, up till like recently, like me and Strawn have a very deep connection with Prince. We're both massive fans of Prince. We've, you know, had meals together where a Prince album's been playing on vinyl in the living room and we've just been chilling. So Prince for me, I've been listening to for years. I listen to now. I will listen to eternally because he was just a gift. And then on the flip side of it, as much as I've kind of like doubled down and deep rooted like my old loves, my curiosity and my openness developed over the years. Like I am so much more open to listening to anything else now. Um, and for somebody I keep going back to is The Weeknd. Um, I think he's extraordinary. He's going to be definitely one to watch in future years because I just think he keeps getting stronger and stronger from listening to the albums that eventually became Trilogy when it got released as a shiny finished product. Um, I think it was House of Bloons and two other like EPs. They were all combined to make Trilogy. Extraordinary album. And every album that's followed, even like, I think it's Starboy. I wasn't totally sold on to start with. And the more I've listened to it, the more it's become a grower. Um, I don't hate anything he's done. His recent album was fucking extraordinary. He's a genuine talent. Like, it's quite dark, but not in the conventional way that, like, Kimbo, you were mentioning earlier, like, a lot of kind of hip-hop and R&B tends to be about drugs, bitches, and bling. And a lot of the weekend stuff is about him having issues with drugs and issues with women, but not in that cliche way that we keep having spat out at us. It's not just, like, bitches and hoes, bitches and hoes, let's get high, it's awesome. He... he cries out in a lot of his songs about like you know I'm desperately sad I'm overdosing join me like it's he's it, there's this darkness about it there's an ambiguity about the topics he's using because they're not generally used in such a dark fashion and I just think he's got I don't know he's, he's definitely a talent I just think he's really engaging Kimbo so I'm going to give the viewers a little insight into the behind TPC background. I messaged you <laughs> a few days ago, like, hey, you know when we talk about what we listen to now, are you going to mention either of Childish Gambino or The Weeknd? Because I'm going to mention one, but I want you to make sure you weren't mentioning one so I could mention the other one so we didn't cross paths, so we didn't cross streams. Um, and then you were like, oh, I'm not sure. I was like, well, I'm going to mention Gambino then. So the weekend's free if you want him, but don't take Gambino. I'm going to talk about Gambino. And that was the end of the chat. Um, but then since then, I've been like, I should have picked the weekend instead. And I'd flip-flop between those two all day if I didn't actually definitively say to you, yeah, Gambino. I'm going to do Gambino. Because Blinded by the Lights is the song of my 2020. I am I am do-do-doing all around the kitchen, sliding around in my socks on my tile floor, every time it comes on. And you talk about that darkness. Um, the Hills from the Trilogy album. Fucking like, It's so much, so much more than, like, it should have been. Um, and then Eminem did a kind of remix of it um, where the weekend starts and then Eminem 
takes over the verse and the weekend just does the chorus. Um, modern Eminem, you can say what you want about, but as a combination, that really worked. And it was really incredible. Eminem's incredibly talented. There was a period where I think he said so himself, if I'm correct. I think it might have been in an interview. Like he, he got a bit lazy because he didn't have to work as hard because it was going to sell. But the, like as a, as a fan of Eminem's work, objectively, if you watch him, there's this period where he's like releasing ba bang 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 and you're like, oh, come on, mate. There's an album he releases and in like one of the tracks on the album, he apologises for the last album he released because he realises it was shit. He's very aware of the fact that he had this lapse where he, he didn't have to try so he didn't, but you, any time that he's paired with another individual, that boy owns it. I think, um, I can't remember who it was, but he collabs with somebody and he's like the featured person on the track. It's not his track, it's somebody else's track. And Eminem has his little fucking cameo verse and then the artist whose track it is, I, I'll try and remember and drop it appropriately, listeners at home. We just go, he, he just says in his responsive verses, Eminem just killed me on my own track. Like Eminem has got fucking skills and Eminem and The Weeknd together, just, yeah, all of the yes. Sign me up. All good. But yeah, like what Kimbo was saying, that like some, some of the songs he's released are just so fucking good. Like Blinded by the Lights, I'm completely on board with you there, Kimbo. Like it's been just this year's go-to. It just makes you happy. I have, power slid around my kitchen dancing to that much to the chagrin of my cats so many times it's obscene um but then you get like save your tears on that album which is i don't even think it's ever going to get released as a single and it's a shame because it's such a fucking cool song it's just it's just extraordinary i, just, I have a lot of love for the weekend um and then like just as a casual shout out I was listening a few weeks back now, this would be, the One World Together at Home concert, um, which was put on Spotify, I think either on the day of the televised concert or the day after. And thought, yeah, I'll just kind of listen through, see if there's anything interesting. Because, like, Spotify's quite good. Like, it'll do, like, suggested releases, like your, 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 your release radar and whatnot. And that helps me find things now and again this one world together at home gave me um sophie tucker they're a duo um supposedly it's house and electronic uh, music that they produce like when you google them and look at genre um but i listened to a song they did on that and then thought fuck it i'm going to search for them and listen to purple hat and it had proper run the jewels vibes i was like I like this and then proceeded to listen to everything they have on Spotify and they are my new favorite earworm um fucking love them Sophie Tucker highly recommend if you've not listened to them listen to them if you listen to Purple Hat I apologize because you'll just be going for days it will just stick in your head and it's just fucking cool I've not done it justice just yeah listen to Sophie Tucker particularly Purple Hat banging All of the earworms. Um, so I think the natural progression from 
what we listen to, what we listen to now, would take us on the journey to live music and what we have seen most recently, like our last three gigs was the specification set by us all uh, collectively. So for myself, um, and I apologise in advance, Kimbo, because I've broken the rules, because it was meant to be last three gigs. However, um, two of the last three I actually went to, um, a shared with Strawn, and I have every faith that Strawn is going to do these two gigs way more justice than I ever could. So a casual shout out to Jonah Matranga and Jim Kirkpatrick. Um, excellent gigs. Strawn, you're going to do them way more justice than I ever could. Moving on from that, um, as a local guy that we all know and love called Average Joe, and I've seen him perform live a few times now, and every single time, it's just a complete joy. That guy oozes charisma. It's borderline obscene how charismatic Average Joe is. He's just so fucking cool. And it's hard to kind of place exactly how to describe him. He's got sort of the street sort of vibe, but not um, sort of spoken wordy, but not... Mm, Strawn, if you can throw that out there and try and clarify it better than I can, would be appreciated. But he's just fucking cool. He's um, a free spirit. He's a free spirit. Um, some of his stuff is on Spotify. I know that Taxi is. I'm not entirely sure what's available since Taxi's been put out. It looks like the, the kid's going to do good, and he's just a local lad, and... He's extraordinarily, extraordinarily talented and he's just a joy to watch when he performs. He really fucking performs. It's not, there's no ambivalence to him. Like he, he's feeling everything he's doing and the guys that he gets to like support him with instrumentation, they just vibe off each other and he's just an absolute pleasure. Like if you've not listened to anything by him yet, Please look him up. Um, it's not just local bias. Average Joe is a genuine fucking talent. And I highly recommend that you give him a listen. And then prior to that, it was sort of a... Like the Average Joe gigs have been kind of at local venues. And there was a kind of a summer outdoor event up Hanley, um, which is local to us guys listening at home. And it was like an outdoor summer vibe thing uh he performed there i've seen him at i want to say fat cats i'm showing signs of age it's now the exchange up hanley back in the day it was fat cats um seen him a couple of times it's all been little local gigs again awesome the gig before that though it's a slightly bigger deal um bigger venue was i believe we went to birmingham for it it's about two and a half years ago so there's been a bit of a lull between like actual being at gigs other than two as I've already said Storm's going to touch on um but it's a guy that Johnson has mentioned earlier on and it was Nils Fram and that guy is just fucking extraordinary uh he's more of an ambient performer it's a lot of piano work um no lyrics so you know you can't stand in the crowd and sing along to anything but you feel everything 
this guy at some point he plays a piano with a toilet brush it's a clean toilet brush just to clarify people at home <laughs> don't be like disgusted especially in days of the rona um it wasn't germy and disgusting it was a shiny clean toilet brush he's playing a fucking piano with a toilet brush and it sounds beautiful and it was just the atmosphere in the room like it was all standing it was a, a kind of a a bigger venue but not like the big big venues in Birmingham so one of the I think it was like an, one of the little O2 ones like the smaller O2 ones um yeah and it was all standing apart from like the balcony upstairs which was seated but the room was fucking packed like to the point where I remember trying to desperately run as fast as humanly possible to go to the toilet and get back so I didn't miss anything and on my way back from the toilet this beefcake had um passed out because it was just that hot in there and everybody was just vibing so hard like he's just Nils farms he's captivating like you know like when you're a kid and you see a lava lamp for the first time and you're just mesmerized and you can't stop staring at it that's how you feel like when you're watching Nils farm they just the way that he can like he'll play multiple different instruments at the same time and set everything going in a certain way and Man, that man is talented. I don't know what he does, but it's, I think it might be witchcraft. And considering that, again, like, to stress the point, there's there's no lyrics. It's not like you're there in the crowd, pogoing, screaming his song back at him. You're tapping and kind of bopping up and down to the beat of something, and it's just pure music. You're engaged with just pure sound. And he completely manipulated the whole room with just piano and percussive and that was it and he's just absolutely mind-bending so yeah awesome all of my I've, I've never been to a gig that I've left and gone meh bit of shit I've had somewhere they've not delivered where I thought they would but average Joe Nils Fram and my shout outs to Jonah and Jim fucking mind-blowing they can perform in a way that is just ridiculous so engaging from start to finish you leave feeling like you've had a truly wonderful experience and it just makes you feel excited about going to live music and going to see a gig and you want to buy the t-shirt and you want to tell everybody about it the next day but I think I didn't shut up about Nils Fram for like about three weeks after I'd been because it was just fucking awesome but yeah they're mine. What about you guys? So, I'll build on what Nat said earlier. And, um, yeah, Jim and Jonah. Jim is most famous as being the guitarist of FM. He plays in Rhino's Revenge, which is a status quo spin-off. But to us guys, he'll be Jim Kirkpatrick, and that is the solo blues rock artist. And he played now a local pub, which is the Glebe. And that man plays to an audience of 10 people as if he's playing to 100,000. Like, he doesn't give up at all. And that's part of the joy of watching Jim. Jim is very much, in every sense of the word, an artist. He's so talented in what he does. And I've seen that guy play everywhere from the Glebe stage 
which is a tiny pub in Stoke, to the main stage of Download Festival. He has done both. And he's played all around the world in between. He's recorded albums that have sold, I hope, thousands of copies. Um, he's got a new album on the way. So feel free to check out Jim Kickpatrick's Ballad of a Particle Sun album. But that is a man who can captivate a crowd no matter how big or small. He's a master of what he does. And going from a guy called Jim to a guy called Jonah, both the same. Jonah is very much a guy who is he could captivate an audience 100,000, 200,000 strong. But he chooses to captivate an audience of 25 people plus. He chooses his audiences so well where he focuses on the individual experience. He doesn't focus on the grand scheme. He thinks of like, if I can change this one person's world for one night, and my job is done. And Jonah is very much a fact, a matter of fact, in the case that he is he's an artist who can cultivate a fan base from one person. It, I, well, guys have said that he'd do it better than I would, but I totally agree with you. Like Jonah, I think more, no, not necessarily more so. Like Jim's got this way of just. You can be in this tiny little local pub and there's like 30 or 40 people there and he plays with everything he's got. Uh, Jim is extraordinary. He just gives everything all of the time. And Jonah does the same thing, but in a way more intimate way. He performs with every atom in his marrow, (laughs) but it's way more focused on like he'll have a conversation with you halfway through a song like he'll interrupt himself singing to tell you a little story and one of the gigs that we saw him at in between songs he read from the book that he's written to give you context as to why that song came about and he 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 did an album where he used his little r2d2 toy to make noises with it and he's bought his r2d2 toy with him and it's that kind of, you get that one-on-one connection with Jonah that you don't often get anymore. People want to play to big crowds and they want to have a big effect. And Jonah's very rooted in, he likes his little intimate gigs and you feel really special when you're at a Jonah gig. I've seen him a couple of times now and just a really fucking cool guy. Very big heart. A lot of love to give, a lot of positivity. Very, very fucking cool guy to go see. With with Jim, you've got the melody throws flows through Jim. Yeah. With Jonah, the melody flows out of him. And I think that's always been the case with Jonah. Like Jonah even speaks melodically. Like Jonah is one of those guys, like he just talks in a melodic sense. Like he, he's very softly spoken. He's very emotionally spoken. And it's so interesting to see the, the songwriting process with Jonah. Um, feel free to check out Jonah online, guys. Like You can join Ideas, which is Jonah's essentially a, a version of Patreon. And it, you get access to 
everything Jura is doing and has done. And Jura is currently doing a new album. I'd highly recommend kickstarting it because that's what he's doing it through. Just kickstart the fuck out of that thing because that guy has been huge. He's done things that us mere mortals can only dream of. He's sang on Fort Minor's album. He's sang with the guy from Deftones. He's done everything he wants to do in his industry. And now he's doing it his own way. And he's supporting him and his daughter doing it that way, which I have got nothing but the utmost respect for. So, yeah. Jim, Jonah are my first two. And I will carry on because I realise I'm rambling quite a bit. The last guy is none other than Tony Wright from Television. Tony played a local gig in regards to where we live um, last oh, a few months ago. I, I, I've lost track of time because it's locked down. Um, but yeah, he played a small acoustic gig the same night he supported the Wild Arts in Nottingham, which goes to show you how much that guy still loves playing multiple gigs in one day and does what he does for the world of music. And he turned up and played his goddamn heart out. And I'm there, sitting at the back, selling albums for him. Just like, nothing to do with that rodeo for him. Just like I went, like, Luke, you're on your own. I'll sell albums for you. And we sold so many albums that night because people enjoyed what he did. And that's a testament to me of a great artist. Jonah, Jim, and Tony all sell albums. Sell albums. And that's a, a thing in this day that you don't hear very often because everyone's just like, oh, I'll Spotify it. With all due respect, we, we're on Spotify and I'll pay my dues and I'll pay for Spotify. But if you can buy an album, fuck Spotify, buy the goddamn album. That's what I'm going to say. Tony Wright, Jeremy Tranga, Jim Kickpatrick, check them all out. They've all got new albums either coming out or in the recording process. It's drawn out. Hi guys, it's, uh, it's Kimbo again with another edition of Kimbo's only listens to popular music, starring Kimbo. Uh, my last three gigs are all bands that people may have actually heard of. Sorry, again. If you want music insight, listen to the other three. I, I like what I like. I, I ain't apologising. Um, my last gig uh, was last February in Manchester. I think, or Birmingham, it's one or the other, uh, and we saw Panic at the disco, and it was wonderful. Brendan Urey flew on a piano. It was a great time. We had seats. I had a beer cup that was too big for my hand. Wonderful. He sang Greatest Showman. He did some other covers. They sang all of the Panic hits. I loved it. Um, then the, the smallest the smallest gig I went to uh, was at Keele University, so local-ish, I guess. Uh, me and a friend went and saw uh, someone I have already previously mentioned, Don Broco. Um, I got very sweaty and drank a lot of uh, dark fruits. And again, I have no regrets. There was a, there was a song where everyone whipped the T-shirt off. I have some dignity and self-respect, so I did not whip my T-shirt off. But everyone else did, and they started whizzing them around, and I was like, oh, I've not seen this at a gig before. This is incredible. They did and not I... invent the Newport helicopter. <laughs> they did not invent the Newport helicopter. Beck off. That goes to someone else. 
I think it was just called the T-shirt song, and they literally told everyone to take off the T-shirt and wear it around. I don't think they. Yeah, that's it. that's a Newport helicopter that was invented by Skindred. Yeah. I don't, I've never been to a Skindred gig, nor do I know what a Skindred is. So, I'm sorry. It was the first time I ever saw it, and I thought it was cool. Um, whilst I refrained. And. They're the only they're the only band I'm actually going to reference and support on because the other two, uh, I don't remember Panic support actually. They were very forgettable, and the other band, the other gig I went to, didn't have a support act. They just played a lot of music before they came out, which was a choice. A choice, um, but yeah, Don Broco were excellent. Uh, the lead singer's really tall. Didn't know that until I went. Didn't think he was like a daddy long legs made into a human. Um, yeah, Don Broco. I'll stop waffling about them and talk about my final gig, 30 Seconds to Mars. Yes, they had no support, which I don't like. Yes, their staging was the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life, and I don't understand it. Jared Leto as a vocalist is incredible, and I will. I I don't care. I don't care if he's too method or if he's not a good actor. I I didn't go to see Jared Leto the actor. I don't care if he's too preachy because I don't care because he wasn't preachy at my gig. He was lovely and sang his songs and he sang them very well and he sang Rihanna's "Stay" better than Rihanna, and. 30 Seconds to Mars' cover of Stay is in my top five songs of all time. And I've heard it live now. And it fills my little heart with so much joy. It grew three sizes that day. I'll, I'll, I'll pass off to Johnson. He'll probably tell you about another band I've never heard of now. Yeah, probably. Yeah, actually. Because um, my last day, I love gigging. I go all the time. And uh my my last three um uh were uh most recent was uh slipknot supported by behemoth now that was amazing now i love behemoth absolutely adore behemoth and so i was sort of i've seen slipknot many a time i haven't really seen slip uh, behemoth at a, a gig i i just wanted to say one thing about slipknot slipknot made me enjoy every justin bieber song it was all slipknot's fault the hybrid someone did online where they mashed together Justin Bieber's baby and Slipknot Psycho Psychosocial <laughs> is the best thing anyone has ever done. <laughs> like, oh. going, through, going from Justin Bieber, going from the, do -do 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 -do, the the intro, and then, oh, I did my time. Oh, I'm, oh, no, I'm, I'm like, yeah. like, this is the best. <laughs> that was all. Uh, so, yeah, no, um, yeah. So I, I, I've seen Slipknot a load of times, but I've never really seen Behemoth at uh, in a gig situation. Uh, I've, I saw them at the Golden Gods Award uh, doing a small set, and I've seen them a few times at festivals. But this is the first time for me seeing them at, at a in a gig style. Yeah, they were supporting, but they still had their stage show on. They still had sort of all the image, all the. Um, uh, imagery, all the um, pomp and ceremony and the fire, and it's absolutely amazing. Behemoth 
Behemoth are genuinely just an amazing band. Uh, but yeah, I went to see Slipknot uh, mainly, and yeah, got quite drunk. We went drinking beforehand, then went to the gig, carried on drinking, uh, and they actually had. It was at um, it was in Birmingham. It was in the the new NIA. I can't remember what it's called. To me, it's always going to be the NIA, but it's it's called something else now. Um, but they actually had a bar at the back of the um, standing area because the standing area, if you know, it's a it's a stadium size sort of thing, and it's in a massive arena. And so, right at the uh, one end is the band, and right at the back was a was the bar. So we didn't even have to leave the uh, standing area. So that was just that was just begging for drunken behaviour. Uh, and another uh, most recent gig was uh, for Combi Christ in uh, Manchester, I believe. It was at, in fact, it was at Manchester Uni, if I remember it. Yeah, it was at Manchester Uni. One of the one of the venue they've got venues there, and we. Had, um, it's really funny just to watch a load of drunk metalheads pouring into. Um, the library entrance of a university and then be guided off inside to a venue area and we watched combi christ and they were absolutely they're they're intense you should listen to to combi christ a sort of industrial um uh, industrial electronic mixed with sort of hard punk and so on they're really really good but really they were awesome i was yeah drinking me a little nut off there as well and then the last one was uh, the most recent it Unfortunately, it goes down to a, a festival. It was uh, Bloodstock was the most recent last year's Bloodstock, obviously, and yeah, saw too many bands to to say. And yeah, but Evil Scarecrow were there. I watched them. Uh, Hypocrisy uh, doing a very very rare UK gig, and just loads of others. And I, I absolutely adore festivals because. Uh, it's live music all over the place, but uh, metal festivals are absolutely brilliant. If you've if you're a listener and you've never been, I enough because uh, other festivals it's you know it's full of arseholes. At uh, metal festival, you just don't get any of that. Everyone is there to uh, everyone's friendly. Everyone's there just to have a fun time you can sit down next to anyone have a great conversation and get absolutely wankered with a stranger but yeah uh, but I, and i do recommend bloodstock for it's it's more niche metal it is more of an extreme metal festival unlike download which is a general sort of alternative festival now a uh, sweeping statement there i have been to a festival that was not bloodstock it was not full of arseholes we all had a very lovely time I was sat on a field drinking beer with a complete stranger, having a super duper time in the sun. Yeah, I'm referring to stuff like where you see, you see, oh, there was riots here. Oh, there's they've set in fire to tents here. Oh, there was, you get those those sort of people you, there. It's like you don't get at all any of that at uh, metal festivals. You literally don't get anything like that. You do with Ella, basically. <laughs> uh, you. Yeah, you did before, and then they properly cracked down, and now it is just. Yeah, and I have remember... you been to Midgard at Bloodstock? Midgard <laughs> is notorious for being quite difficult <laughs> to police. <laughs> Not to call bullshit, but we call bullshit. 
Nah, I'm they so... have really been jousting like at Midgard. Yeah, like, but that's not that's a that's a fun activity. That's not that's not a bunch of our souls parading around the boats, making a a terrible time for everyone. Everyone can no, enjoy. No. Yeah, what I mean, like the chavvy, a download. You know, the chavvy type, where and the ordinary type who are just there, and they'll they'll pit like you see in stuff. Like they'll piss on you during the um, gig, and it's like you know during the thing. It's like no one fucking does that. You you know, <laughs> a wheelie being jousting. Everyone can enjoy. You'll everyone will sort of make two lanes and watch these twats. It's yeah. hilarious. No, you know download, I mean? there's, there's campyard fires at download, but yeah. it's well contained ish. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's quite a sweep- like I said, it's quite a sweeping statement to make. Mate, it's all the same. No, it's not. I am completely right. You are all wrong. <laughs> no. Listeners at home, this is Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> no, He's but yeah, not I... fans of all. Uh, yeah, I absolutely, I, I love them, and I, I love just getting that absolutely smashed in a big field, surrounded by people with long hair studs and leather and hair so on and yes by the way i am also bisexual so you know long uh, studs and leather is interesting to me i think that's more fetish than a uh, sexual orientation <laughs> well on that note folks it seems like we're pretty much done for today and it's been uh, it's been a long slog with us but bear with us it's been um Interesting, to say the least, of what we've all travelled through with the time machine of music. If you want to get in touch with folks, we are available on social media and email. Email is trainpopculture at gmail.com. We're available on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr at trainpopculture. We're available on Twitter at culture underscore train. And on that note, Skull. Frost. Find you back. Beautiful. I think that's a succinct way to end. <laughs>